Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Accompanying the much-needed rain that our part of Texas has finally received over the past several weeks in answer to our many prayers, my yard has been overrun by a very many small visitors. These visitors have been hundreds, if not thousands, of ground snails, so maybe overrun isn't exactly the right term. Maybe overslid or overoozed would be a better description. These little creatures come out of the grass during every significant rainfall, and for the next several hours they are found on all sorts of surfaces, on sidewalks and on driveways, on the walls and the doors and the windows. Sometimes they even make their way onto the tires and the wheels of the cars. They certainly make navigating any walkway an adventure, especially in the dark. I even feel a small pang of guilt now and then when a small telltale crunch is heard underneath my shoes. Yes, I know that there are snail repellents available that will keep these little sliders away. However, I'm married to a veterinarian and we've got a house full of pets and these repellents are toxic to many mammals. Therefore, I'm not authorized to engage in any sort of chemical warfare that might endanger the non-combatants. But that's okay, really. The snails aren't really such an inconvenience that I feel compelled to kill them off or, or drive them away. In fact, they're fascinating to watch sometimes. They can even be funny, especially when we find them caught in some sort of a predicament and they can't seem to figure their way out of it. Now, even after the rain has gone and the snails have returned to the grass and gone underground, one can still see their trails of shiny fluid on all the surfaces across which they crawled. From these trails, we can see the paths that the snails have followed. We can see points of decision where they might have changed their direction. We can see points of intersection where the path of one snail crossed with that of another. We can even see evidence of conflict where two or more snails have come together at the same point in time and had to work out who was going to go first. Now and then, of course, you do see a place on the trail where it ends in a small pile of crushed shell fragments and a brown splotch. And you know, that's where there's been a clumsy human such as me who couldn't avoid that helpless and slow-moving snail. Occasionally, you might even see a place where the trail suddenly stops in the middle of a surface, and you you might wonder, is this where someone or something grabbed that snail? Were they gently placed back in the grass to reach safety before the hot Texas sun returned to the sky? Were they careless or even savagely thrown somewhere? Maybe a bird or possum or raccoon discovered a delectable treat what you might call escargot on the go. (laughs) No matter, really. Every trail ends in a story, and unless that trail ends suddenly, we can follow each trail, and at the end of that trail, we'll find its maker. It's not hard to track down the church, either. 
All you have to do is follow the trail of blood. It begins in the wet soil under the body of Abel, murdered not by a stranger, but by his brother Cain. Cain hated Abel the believer because Cain hated the believer's God. The haunting crimson road winds onward throughout the church's history, even now, and it will into the future. The blood flows from young and old alike, from the infant boys of Egypt and Bethlehem, and from gray-haired martyrs, martyrs who would not deny their faith on account of some worldly tyrant's decree or simply because some angry pagan had a twisted sense of self-importance. In this world, the church and its members will not have peace. Certainly not peace as the world understands it. Wherever the church goes, she is forced to leave behind a telltale sign of her passage through that time and place. Just follow the trail of blood, and you will discover the lineage of the church. Jesus tells his disciples in our gospel lesson this day, see that no one leads you astray. His words are for you as well. Do not be led astray, away from the painful but necessary path. Many voices will come to you in this world and will try to reach your itching ears and tell you what they crave to hear. Your religion doesn't have to be like this. We can have peace. No more blood needs to be shed. Just wink at the golden calves. Mind your own business rather than laying down the law and insisting that there is only one saving truth. These voices insist that we will find favor if only we will learn how to compromise, how to play our political cards right, how to sweeten our speech with opinions rather than confessions. All we have to do is learn to crawl around on the multicolored religious landscape of our day and act like some sort of a theological chameleon. If we do, the world will smile at us and will sheathe its sword. The demons will retract their claws. The haunting and bloody crimson road will come to an end. But then so would the church. Deep guile is the weapon of Satan, the one who masquerades as an angel of light, but in truth is the prince of darkness. He opened Eve's eyes to what he sold to her as being a better way, a way that was free from the Word of God that seemed to deprive her of some new and fulfilling life. At least, that's what she thought at the time. It was Satan who convinced Solomon that it would be far easier and less turmoil to his family if he were to build temples to his wives' many false gods, rather than insisting on the worship of the one true God as it had been given to them. It is Satan that tells you that it's perfectly fine to applaud Luther and all of the other reformers for their bold stance on the Bible's faith in their day, but to ignore or to poke fun at any serious attempt to follow those same teachings and confessions in our own time. With such means does the God of this world entice you in your weak flesh. The temptations that he offers make this world look to us like a house of candy as we Hansel and Gretel's wander through it. We have had our share of its sweetness, have we not? And it's always easier to rest and to nibble within that candy house than to trudge onward in the dark and threatening world following that trail of blood. Yes, such is the sweet temptation of the devil's candy house. 
Woe to the believer, and woe to the church that crosses its doorstep. So deceptive, so seductive are its hidden and inner charms that few will escape it. But it's not really a candy house. It's a dungeon, dark, dank, and reeking of death. See to it that no one leads you astray from the narrow way, the straight way that leads to the Jerusalem above, for that is the only saving path. Though that way leads you away from suffering to the broad and smooth road, it also leads you to the suffering that will never end. The narrow path is bloody, it's true. It's steep and it seems impossible to follow at times, but it's a trail of truth. Along that bloody and sometimes painful way, however, your heavenly Father gives you way stations such as this divine service, where he reclothes you in Christ's righteousness, rearms you with the gifts of the Spirit, and feeds and fills you with the body and blood of him who has trod every inch of this bloody trail, both long before you and with you every step of the way. We are not traveling alone after all. Leading our journey is the son of David, and in his hand he holds the severed head of hell's Goliath, that serpent who had bruised his heel and would fill you with deadly poison to eternal death, but who was felled by the sword of the Spirit. No matter how weak you are, how frail, how fearful and frightened, it doesn't matter. It is not you who fights. It is God who fights for you and through you. He parts the waters so that you may pass through and then engulfs your enemies, swallowing up from behind. He is he who prophesied that the glorious temple in Jerusalem would fall, but he's also already knocked down the walls of sin's Jericho that stood in your way. He fights, he wins, he places the crown of victory on your head. For all of your compromises that have weakened the church, he made the good confession before Pontius Pilate. For all of your avoiding of the light crosses that he would have you bear, he took upon himself the crushing load of your sin and grasped his cross for you. For your silence so that you could save face, he did not hide his face. He did not turn it from the spit and from the blows and from the gore and, yes, even from the blood. Willingly he did it so that you might be bought at a steep price, perhaps not the largest, but certainly the purest, certainly the most precious spot along that trail of blood that marks the journey of the church. Follow along then in his trail of blood, that blood of the crucified Christ. Each step of your way, you will behold in him the life of the church, your life. For the church's life is in nothing else but the blood of Christ Jesus not in glory or in fame, not in numbers or in power, but in His holy and saving blood. It speaks a better word than the blood of Abel ever could. The blood shed on that cross does what all the blood of beasts shed on those altars of stone and bronze at the tabernacle and temple could never do. The blood of Christ gives forgiveness, and it gives eternal life, a single sacrifice once and for all. Dear Christians, one and all, rejoice. At the end of the day, we enter the holy places by the blood of Christ. We will find ourselves at the gate of the strong city, 
the Jerusalem that has lasting foundations because its architect and its builder are God alone. Salvation has come to you. Salvation from sin, from falsehood, from hopelessness and from false hopes, from crumbling fortresses, and yes, even from those fancy and false candy houses that the devil has constructed to lead you off the path of blood. Your very present help in the time of troubles and all the things you face along the path of life is the mighty fortress, your God. Christ is the lasting temple. Yes, there will be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines and all the rest, and they will destroy the structures of man, but you have a holy place of sanctuary, a place of eternal peace and comfort, a place you enter by the blood and through the flesh of Jesus, the one true curtain. Therefore, we will not fear to tread upon that difficult, painful, and yes, even bloody path of the way of truth, the way of faith, the way of Christ alone. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, we will not fear. The kingdom is ours. Forgiveness is ours. Life is ours. We are washed in the blood of the Lamb. We are fed with holy manna from above. We are surrounded by legions of angels who shield and protect us from all of the devils that fill the world and would seek to devour us. We may see those signs of calamity all around us, but be at peace, a peace that the world cannot see, much less give. Christ is before you and behind you. Christ is on your right and on your left. He is above you, He is below you, and His Spirit fills you and sustains you. That Spirit gives you words of comfort and also gives you words of courage to face the danger on the bloody trail. And He gives you the words and the courage to speak of His name in all of your trials of life. You may be hated for His name's sake, but nothing will separate you from Him who shares your flesh and blood. He will grant you endurance to the end. And by His grace, your faith will be made in His sacrifice. And through that, you will be saved. In the blood of the Lamb whose name we share, Amen.